Good eve. Good morning. Good morning. Not not time yet. Great to be with you again this morning. Um, we're going to continue our series uh, on who's your one, and this is the last week. And I do hope this has been helpful to you. I do hope it's been profitable to you. Just because this is the last week of our sermon series doesn't mean we give up on our ones. It means we keep going, we keep pushing, we keep pursuing. And so I hope that these past few weeks have been profitable to you to that end. And uh, I pray you've worked. And if you haven't, you know, repent and work. And don't just let this opportunity pass us by to do what? To make a difference in the world. God has called us to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest news that there is. And we have the privilege and responsibility of telling others about it. So don't give up. Press on. Work. And this morning we want to talk about, as we conclude this series, the value of one. The value of one. But before we get started, let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you for this privilege now, this opportunity now to preach your word. And I just pray that... All that is spoken will be profitable and true. Above all, I pray that you would speak, God, to us through your word. That we would be strengthened, God, to know and believe that you're still, God, in the saving business. That no one is beyond your saving power, God. And we know that because you saved us. And so I pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would burden us, God, for our ones. And I pray for our ones, God, all these on this This board right here, right in front of us, God, names of people with eternal souls who are destined, God, for either heaven or hell. And I pray, Lord, you would help us, God, use us to be conduits of your grace, to be proclaimers of the gospel. To tell other people that old, old story. The good news of how we can be forgiven of our sins and find life everlasting through our crucified and risen Savior. So, oh God, we pray in this next year, Lord, may we see these on this board come to saving faith in you. Oh God, save Oh, God, deliver for Christ's sake, and to him be all the glory, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. And as you do, I just want to ask you a question. Who is Andrew? Do you know? Who's Andrew? He was Peter's brother. But unfortunately... We don't know a whole lot more about him than that. In fact, if you read the New Testament, it almost appears that he kind of lived in Peter's shadow. In fact, there are places where he is specifically just mentioned as Peter's brother. Andrew, who's that? Oh, he's Peter's brother. Oh, 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 Andrew, okay. Peter's brother. Of course, we don't know this for sure, but from the biblical data, it doesn't seem that Andrew was in the forefront of the disciples. 
He, he doesn't have a place of prominence there. There are no recorded instances of Andrew preaching to large crowds, though he may have done so. But what we're going to see today, that faithfulness doesn't necessarily mean preaching a sermon where 2,000 get saved, like Peter did. What it means is being faithful with the ones that God gives us, with the ones that God has put right in front of us. If, we're, if we can't be faithful with the ones right in front of us, why would God give us thousands? And what we're reminded of is that there's no such thing as an insignificant person. And we're going to look at this from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And so if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Verse 35. It says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The word of God. You may be seated. I want to see three truths this morning concerning especially the life of Andrew. Number one is that he saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of individual people. Number two is he saw the value of insignificant gifts. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. And then finally, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. He saw the value of inconspicuous service. But first, he saw the value of individual people. Most of the interactions of Andrew, as we've said, recorded in scriptures, involve just individuals, just a few, and not large crowds. Indeed, this is the very first we learn of Andrew. He is a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, we're not sure if that means that Peter was also a disciple of John at this time. It doesn't say, but that may be the case. And if so, it may be that Andrew was at least initially the little bit more spiritually minded of the two brothers. And he's following John, and you note here that John points, John said uh, that he was not the Christ, but that he came to make known the Christ to Israel, to prepare the way of the Lord. And right here in this very passage, Jesus is coming by, and John looks at Jesus with two of his disciples there and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. So John's business here is pointing others to Jesus. And then the, his two disciples then at that point leave him to go follow Jesus. Because that's the purpose for which John had come. Not to build a following for himself, but to prepare the way for Jesus. For people to come to know Jesus. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. 
And of course, the Jews would know what this meant because the whole, the whole Jewish sacrificial system was built around this, the sacrificing especially of lambs and other animals. For what? For the atonement of sin. So when John said, behold, the Lamb of God, he is saying something very specific, very intentional. He is telling his followers that, hey, brothers, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. What does that mean? That means he's the one. He's the one that every Old Testament sacrifice pointed to. He's the one who would ultimately be slain for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus. And John points his two followers to Jesus and they follow him. And Andrew, when he sees this, he's blown away. You see, I mean, John caused quite a stir. So much of a stir that he got beheaded for it. So these are, these, are, these are somewhat unusual but also exciting times in Israel. God's on the move. Something's happening. This man John has been raised up and said the Messiah is coming. And then he points to him and says, there he is. The Lamb of God. The King of the world. The forgiver of sins. And Andrew is blown away and he says, What? This is the Christ? This is the Messiah? And he does as Philip did, as we talked about uh, the other sermon. He goes and he finds someone, someone that he loves, his brother. And he goes to Peter and he says, brother, we found them. He's here. He's come. The Messiah is here. And Peter's life was never the same after that. Peter, you know, would go on to become uh, the leader of the apostles and, a, and uh, one of the greatest leaders of the early church. Uh, he was the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached, and 2,000 people got saved. He had an incredible measure of authority. He was the one who Jesus told before he ascended back into heaven. He took Peter aside and asked him three times if he loved him. And told him three times to feed his sheep. Peter is the leader of the apostles. Peter had such authority within the church that I believe that it was all part of God's great wisdom. That it was Peter who was the first one who preached the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember he received the vision of a sheep descending from heaven. And it was God calling him to go to Cornelius' house who was a Gentile and Jews wouldn't even enter a Gentile's house, a non-Jew's house, because they considered them unclean. But God told him to go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, such that when he did, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his whole household, and they were all saved, just as uh, the disciples were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And I believe that, there was, that God specifically chose Peter for that. Why use Peter to go to Cornelius? Because Peter had such authority in the early church that if God sent anyone else, they wouldn't believe him. That what? That Gentiles could be saved. That non-Jews, that God was extending his saving grace, yes, even to those who weren't Jews. But God sent Peter because they knew that God, he knew that they would believe Peter, that they would listen to him. And Peter was among the, those, those few, those three, who got to see Jesus in his blazing glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. But don't you see, God used Peter for all these things only because God had already used Andrew to reach Peter. 
And Andrew might sit in the background in these New Testament narratives, but he's the spark that lit Peter's blaze. What's the point? The point is, is that we so often think, well, I'm not a Peter. I'm not a Paul. I'm not a Billy Graham. I can't do that. God can't really use me, and that's the devil. That's not God telling you that. It's not true. The only reason Peter did any of what Peter did was because of Andrew, his brother, one man, who brought him to Jesus. I don't mind saying it over and over. We don't, we don't have to be concerned about the breadth of our ministry. God will handle the breadth of our ministry. We just need to be concerned about, we just need to be faithful with what's right in front of our eyes. Who's our one? Who's your one? What are you doing? What are we doing to reach our one for Jesus Christ? Because it was Peter, it was Andrew going out for one. And it helped change the world. And what if God in his kindness chooses to use you to be the spark that lights the blaze in somebody else's life? We can never underestimate the value of one. There is no, there are no insignificant people. I'm going to throw out a name at you. The name is Edward Kimball. You ever heard of him? Edward Kimball was a children's Sunday school teacher. Some of you have, are or have been children's Sunday school teachers. That's what he was, children's Sunday school teachers, a reportedly timid man. Edward was concerned one day about one of his children in his class who was present who didn't really seem to be listening. Has that ever happened in children's Sunday school classes? Edward was burdened by this. And he thought about what to do, and he felt like he should go by the place where this child worked because young children worked in the 1800s. And he went by a shoe store where this young boy was working. And uh, he might have been so caught up in his nervousness that he actually passed by the entrance and had to muster up the courage to turn around and go back. Someone of a timid man. But he mustered up the courage to go back and walk into this child's, this young boy's workplace to talk to him about Jesus and to call him to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Edward, when he walked out of that shoe store, he didn't really feel like that went any better than any of the other Sundays had gone. In fact, you know, probably nothing had changed in that young boy's life when he walked out that shoe store. But what Edward would discover later was God used that visit to soundly convert that young boy. That boy's name was Dwight L. Moody, who became one of the greatest evangelists in the English-speaking language, who in the late 1800s personally spoke to over 100 million people in the crusades that he did in America and in Europe. Moody would go on to, to speak to all these people And during one of his meetings, during one of this D.L. Moody's meetings, a young man in one of the meetings was struggling with assurance of his salvation. And in that meeting, he found assurance of his salvation. And that man's name was Wilbur Chapman, who became an evangelist himself. 
And then Wilbur Chapman eventually, for a short time, hired an assistant to his evangelistic ministry by the name of Billy Sunday, who again would become one of the great uh, evangelists in America. In 1924, Billy Sunday held an evangelistic campaign in North Carolina. Out of that campaign was birthed an organization called the Charlotte's Businessmen's Club. Ten years later, that organization would invite another man named Mordecai Ham to preach a revival, to preach a, a, a revival, an evangelistic crusade. And in, in Mordecai's Ham's crusade, a young man was in the crowd who was soundly converted under his ministry. And that young man's name was Billy Graham. Edward Kimball, who nobody knows, threw a pebble in the pond. And that pebble made ripples that spread out and touched the ministries of men like D.L. Moody, Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, and Billy Graham. What I'm saying is this. You never know what one act of obedience will do. You just never know. What if that one prompting of the Holy Spirit, what if that one prompting of the Holy Spirit that the God places on your heart where you need to go talk to somebody, you need to share the gospel with somebody, you need to go minister to somebody, what if that one thing was just like that one thing where, Billy, where uh, Edward Kimball walked by the shoe store? What if it was that one act of obedience that touched the lives of of hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. Andrew saw the value of individual people, but it starts with one. Who's your one? Who's your one? What are you going to do? So number one, he saw the value of individual people. Number two, he saw the value of insignificant gifts. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. One of the one of the other few details we have about Andrew in the Bible comes from the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. In John 6, 4 and following, it says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this, to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. So as we looked at this passage here, we recognize that Andrew really isn't the epitome of faith in this. Uh, certainly not Peter, I mean Philip. But... I'm something of an optimist, as I've said before. And Philip just throws his hands up in the air, but at least Andrew brings up a little boy. 
Now, Andrew, he's definitely skeptical, but he, but maybe, just maybe, in the back of Andrew's mind, he thinks, well, here's something. Maybe God can you, Jesus can do something with this teeny little bit. And what we find out very quickly is that little is much when Jesus is in it. Andrew brought forth a picnic to feed a crowd. Not, he didn't know how it was going to work. But maybe, just maybe, he did, he did what, he really did what any of us can do. And that is, he took the little that we did have, that he did have, and he brought it to Jesus. And just waited to see what Jesus could do with it. There is a lesson for us in our ministry to our ones. The first is to recognize that God can use us, even us, to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. Andrew looks at this, this, this uh, little family picnic, and we'll say, what is that for so many? It's grossly inadequate, insignificant. And that's how lots of us feel about ministering. We feel inadequate. We feel insignificant. We feel like, oh, well, they're too far gone. God can't save them. Or, or, or who am I? I can't do this. I'm too scared. I don't, I'm not good with words. But we forget, we forget that little is much when Jesus is in it. That Jesus' power is not in any way hindered by our inadequacy. One little basket of food fed 5,000 when Jesus was in it. Why? Because Jesus is going to do whatever Jesus wants to do with whoever Jesus wants to do it. That's how Jesus works. Regardless of how little or much we bring to the table. The question is, so we have two choices. We can kind of sit here and wallow in self-pity and pride over our inadequacy, and we, or we can make excuses, or we can take our little bit and bring it to Jesus. Believing that Jesus can take our little bit and make it a lot of bit. Even save somebody's soul. You see, when we, when we contemplate reaching our ones for Christ, we may feel like reaching our one is like trying to feed a crowd with a picnic lunch. But it's just not true. It's just not true. Andrew saw the value of insignificant gifts. And we, we must do the same. We must say, Jesus, I don't have a lot, but whatever I got, it's yours. You can have it, and you can use it to do whatever you want. And let me tell you something. When you take that posture towards Christ, Jesus, let me tell you something. He's pleased. He's pleased to say, you know what? You know what? I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take what you do have. You just give it to me. You give yourself to me. And watch, watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. So that's the challenge, and that's the step of faith. You're intimidated about reaching out to your one. You're not sure what to do. Look, just take what you got. Take your little bit and give it to Jesus. And just take that step of faith. A timid man once had to talk himself into going in a shoe store to talk to a boy. And it changed the world. What's that thing What's God wanting you to do? Think about it right now. Write it down. Go and say, God, help me do it. 
Talk yourself. Remember, talk, preach to yourself. Say, God, okay, I can do it. You can help me. You will strengthen me. And walk, walk through the door. Knock on the door. Write the letter. Make the phone call. Why? Because, because who knows what God will take that little, that one step of obedience and do with it. All you got to do, you just take your tiny little pebble and you throw it in the pond and you let God deal with how far the ripples go. God can do a lot with a little when we trust and obey. So number one, we saw, he saw the value of individual people. Number two, he saw the value of insignificant gifts. And number three, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. He saw the value of inconspicuous service. As we've said before, if you go through the New Testament and search for Andrew, most of the places where his name is even mentioned, it, his brother's right there for him to be identified. Everybody knew Peter, but not everybody knew Andrew. And we know that, um, that the disciples, they, were, they had feet of clay like us. There's the, record, there's the recording story of them one time all arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Even they did stuff like that. So we can't even pretend like they didn't think about, oh, who's going to be great? And maybe they all assumed that Peter would be the greatest. James and John, for goodness sakes, asked their mother to go ask Jesus for them. I remember doing that, asking my mom to ask somebody else for something for me. If, they could, if one could sit at his right hand and the other at the left. You see, they, 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 they were concerned about such things. They worried about such things. But see, Andrew, he was just kind of in the background. He wasn't a preacher of crowds. In the New Testament, he's presented much more like this. He was a bringer of individuals. He went and brought his brother to Jesus. And there's another instance of this as well at, uh, in the middle of the book of John, uh, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, ministry in John 12. It says, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, this is just a very fascinating little story that's just kind of thrown in there in the book of John. It's and what's so fascinating about it and somewhat unusual is that, you know, when you write a story, anytime you write a story, if you're just telling a story of, of, of something else that happened, you don't, you don't include every little detail in, when, you, when you retell a story. And usually you're telling a story for a certain reason or for a certain purpose or to a certain group of people where only certain details are relevant. And so you choose your details quite carefully that you decide to share and not share about the story. And yet here we have the story of John, and for some reason when John tells the story, he could have just said simply, and Philip brought him to Jesus. But he includes this little detail that for some reason Philip went first to Andrew. And then only with Andrew did they together go and take the Greeks to Jesus. Why is this? Well, we don't really know for sure, but it's another instance that we have of Andrew directively involved of just bringing a few, in this case, Greeks, to Jesus. 
And this story is occurring just a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. And I believe that what it means is this, that it's a pointer in Jesus' ministry. It's a pointer of how Jesus' ministry is culminating, not merely in the salvation of the Jews, but of all people, including the Greeks. So again, you know, we've talked about this before, but I mean, you just read the book of Acts, you read the Apostle Paul, you understand that the Jews understood, they really believed that to be a Jew it was to be saved, that God's promises only extended to the Jews. And so the thought of, of Gentiles being saved was just shocking. In fact, it was so shocking. In fact, that was the great controversy of the early church because many of the earliest Jews wanted to say that the Gentiles had to first convert to Judaism, basically, before they could even become a Christian. And so this was a huge controversy. But right here in the book of John, there's a pointer that even before Jesus' death and resurrection, we already have, we already have Gentiles, non-Jews, Greeks coming, looking for Jesus, seeking him. And what does Andrew do? Philip specifically goes gets an Andrew. Maybe, maybe Andrew had a reputation among the disciples of bringing individuals to Jesus. Maybe he had a special relationship with Jesus in this regard, and that's why Philip brings him to Andrew first, and then together they go to Jesus. We don't know for sure. But the point is that we have Andrew not leading crowds, but faithfully taking time to lead a few to Jesus. And that is ministry. That is eternity-changing work. Andrew might have lived in Peter's shadow, but his faithfulness was no less significant. Andrew was changing the world from the shadows, one soul at a time. And even the so-called, by the way, even the so-called great church leaders and missionaries of church history, they didn't go out seeking that. That's a stewardship that was entrusted to them by God. God is the one who takes care of the breadth of the ministry. For example, Martin Luther didn't go and intend to start a reformation. He just wanted to be faithful to God's word. And God did what God wanted to do. If we will be faithful, God will take care of the rest. God knows our hearts. We don't need a claim. We don't need praise for others. The praise of others is fickle. If you live for the praise of others, if you live for what others think about you, let me tell you something, you won't be a Christian very long. And especially in our day, the way our culture is going, if you live or die off the praise of men, let me tell you something, you're just not going to make it. Because it's going to be really hard pretty soon to be a Christian. And you're going to have to decide if Jesus really is the Savior of the world, the only way that even Gentiles like me and you can be saved. The commendation of Christ is all that matters. Well done, good and faithful servant. And if we can't be faithful with one, how will God give us many? And as I've said before, and I really believe it, I believe that, mo- that a, a large portion of the greatest people in heaven will be people that we've never heard of. They will be Andrews. They will be people who obeyed Jesus and prayed in secret and gave in secret and fasted in secret. And never said a word about anything that they did. They just served the Lord. They just shared Christ. They just loved others. And no one, no, no one else might have saw it, but God saw it. And he was watching. And he was faithful. What they, 
what such people do is they they take their little they take their life our little lives and they 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 give it as a seed to die in the ground to bear fruit to produce a harvest beyond our wildest imagination and this is striking because this is actually what Jesus says here this is how the story about Philip and Andrew bringing Greeks to the Jesus. This is Jesus's response when they try to bring the Greeks to Jesus. It's it's a little strange. Jesus says there in John twelve twenty three. Jesus answered them, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit." You see that? What does that? What does that have anything to do with bringing Greeks to Jesus? You ever thought about that? What does that have anything to do with them bringing Greeks to Jesus? Why, how, why would Jesus respond that way? Well, I believe it's this. I believe it's Jesus saying, "The Greeks are the Greeks are wanting to find me." And now Jesus is saying, "Now's my time. My time is to be glorified, not just among the Jews." but among the whole world. And you see these Greeks that want to come to me? You see, the fruit that I'm going to bear is far greater than anybody had ever anticipated. The Jews just wanted a Messiah who would be, a, a, you know, a Jewish king, a, Jew, a Jewish ruler in authority, but they're going to get more than they bargained for because I'm going to be the king of the whole world. And, the, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my life in the ground. Because when I do that, here's what's going to happen. It's going to bear fruit far greater than anyone had ever imagined. The salvation of Greeks. The salvation of Americans. The salvation of Asians and South Americans and Africans. Europeans, the salvation of the whole world. That's what happens when we take the seed of our lives and put it in Jesus' hands, and let it die in the ground of Jesus' labor to bear fruit for his kingdom. That's all we have to do, church. That's all we have to do. Plant ourselves in the earth. Plant, take all of our lives and lay it down for Jesus. Jesus said, whoever would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. But guess what happens when you die to yourself? You bear fruit beyond anything that can be imagined. There are many people who labored faithfully in secret in this life. And though they might have seen very little fruit on this earth, their heavenly reward was there waiting on them when they entered into glory. And the truth will be the same of us, be the same of us if we serve him faithfully. So Andrew saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of insignificant gifts, and he saw the value of inconspicuous service. So what do we do? Here's what we do. We just be faithful with the gospel. That's it. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. It's the good news that God has sent his son who came, who died on the cross to pay the penalty that our sins deserve. 
And not only that, but then on the third day after his death, he rose from the dead. Physically, bodily rose from the dead. His disciples touched him with their own two hands. Saw him alive. Proving that our sins had been forgiven. And therefore, if our sins are forgiven in Jesus, we won't ultimately die. But one day we'll live forever in a world free from sin. That is the hope of Christianity. And it really is that simple. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus is coming back. And if you will turn from your sins and believe in him and trust in him and follow him, he will freely forgive you of all of your sin, past, present, and future, and bring you into his eternal kingdom. That's the good news. It has been changing lives and saving souls for 2,000 years. It saved you. It can save your one. So God, help us be faithful with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel.